We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup on Saturday night, what is sure to be an emotional one against the Toronto Raptors. The first time that we will see R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly come to Madison Square Garden as visitors. Although technically, technically R.J. played at Duke and they played a game at the Garden, so if you want to be uh, semantics about it, this is not RJ's first time coming as a visitor. And I have actually have no idea if Kentucky ever came to the garden when uh, quickly was in college. But regardless, as far as their pro careers are concerned, a couple of fan favorites will be making their return to, to New York City on Saturday night. And I'm very curious to see how this matchup goes from the starting lineups to the end of the game, a game the Knicks should win. The Raptors are 16 and 26 and traded their two best players. Uh, but they, they are a team that fights hard as we know what comes when you have a team with Emmanuel quickly. And this version of RJ Barrett, who's been very good since going to the Raptors. And we're going to talk about this matchup and I'm going to just jump right into it because this is a, a jam packed episode with us. my new favorite Raptors expert that we have on any time we talk about the Raptors. So let's get into it. My conversation previewing this matchup on Saturday with Mr. S Barahini. Enjoy. We need to go to the number one source of Toronto Raptors information that anybody would be lucky to get their information from. (laughs) And it's Mr. S. Barahini. Welcome back to the show, sir. And I must say uh, to the Knicks fans that I know have reached out to me to say he was a great guest. We love following him. I'm envious that you get to watch IQ, yeah, thirty five minutes a night, and this new version of RJ Barrett that's good now. So, uh, <laughs> first of all, how are you doing, sir? I am good. I am good. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for having me on. As always, I love jumping on this podcast. So, I I, I love talking Knicks basketball, also. Um, and that's you know a pastime now with OG being on the team. You know, you always have that second computer out watching mm-hmm. OG and the Knicks do their thing. Uh, and so it's been good, man. It's been good so far. Uh, the RJ Barrett experience has also been very good so far. I'm sure we'll get into it. But yeah, thank you for having me, man. Well, we'll get into it the, the specifics in a second. It is amazing that you just said the second screen of it all because <laughs> I speak for so many Knicks fans 
that this season has become a mandatory two screen experience right. that no matter who the Knicks are playing, what's going on in the game. I've, I've had people be like, I'm watching your post game. And then this West coast trip that the Raptors <laughs> went on. I also need to make sure like I was invested right. in them getting robbed by the, the refs during the Laker game. Yeah, and yeah. like Darko's half my coach too. And he's speaking for <laughs> me. Okay. Well, amazing. What's happened to this season after these two teams were in civil court before the season started. Right. So, uh, how the Raptors have become like must watch TV as far as Knicks fans with league pass. Um, I guess I'll, I'll give, get somewhat of a vibe check from you on what's going on in Toronto. And I, we don't even need to start with the OG Ananobi, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly of it all. But another trade was just made by the yeah. Raptors more recently. Uh, your thoughts or I guess your reaction in the moment when uh, Pascal Siakam was traded. It's been a whirlwind of a month, man, uh, because OG, even if you go back to like Fred leaving in free agency, it's been a really weird transitional phase for these Raptors teams. It's just so much uncertainty. You have Fred leave in free agency, obviously one of the pillars of that championship team. Then you have OG leave, um, you know, get traded to New York just three or four weeks ago. And now the Pascal trade, which is just like the the death knell to an era of Raptors basketball. So it's not only you're saying bye to these guys, but you're also looking back on an entire, you know, the last time the Raptors were bad at basketball yeah, and, and like truthfully bad, like there was no hope of them getting anywhere. It was like 2012, right? Allen Anderson hooping for them and whatnot. And um, I was, I was, this 16, 17, you know, I'm now a 28 year old man and it's been a very long time. So I, I guess that that sort of like cathartic feeling of looking back on this last, you know, 10 years of Raptors basketball, Kyle, DeMar, Kawhi, Pascal, Fred, Sir, you can keep going, Serge, all these guys, right? Um, they're all gone. And when you look at it, DeMar DeRozan was uh, facing the Raptors last night. The Chicago Bulls came into town and DeMar didn't have anybody to like chop it up with on the other side. And that's weird. It usually is. Oh, he goes and says hi to Pascal or he says hi to Fred or OG or whoever. And there's there's nothing left other than Chris Boucher. Shout out to Chris Boucher. But there's nothing left. From that era, it's a completely new slate. They're headed into a new direction and there's uncertainty with that. There's the unknown, which is like you have this pit in your stomach. You don't know what's going to happen next, but it's also uh, a sad feeling, you know, just seeing seeing it's over for a lot of these fans. Right. Yeah. So I look, I personally have never had one of my teams in uh, the Rangers in 94 won the Stanley Cup, but none of my teams have won a title. Mm -hmm. So I've never had to see that team be stripped down in any way, shape or form. I know some some Yankee fans in my life have seen like obviously multiple championships, but then like the letting go of some of these players that were part of it uh, was an emotional experience. So you know, I, I I enjoy hearing your perspective or I guess appreciate hearing your perspective on the last remnants of that team that won the title. Yeah. Now, officially, other than Chris Boucher, we got to honor that uh, yes. no longer yes. being there. I will say what it seems to have created with the Raptors are 16 and 26 on the season at the moment. They're four and six since the trade. And the vibes just seem Incredible. They seem amazing at the moment. And it's like two years ago, 
the Knicks, I mean, they went through this rough stretch in the middle of the season. They were three and 17 at one point in that stretch. And we were just begging Tibbs, like, let go of the rope, like mm-hmm. front office, tell him he's safe, play quickly as a starter, like shut Julius down. He's been bad to unplayable at points. Let's see what this Obi Toppin thing is. Let's get an evaluation of some of these young kids with no expectations. And it didn't happen until 11 games left in the season. They shut Julius down and it was 11 games of bliss of like (laughs) OB playing a ton that didn't matter. They weren't going to make the playoffs quickly. Wasn't starting, but he was still coming off the bench and getting a ton of minutes. And there was, it was just like, you know what? I, I, we don't care what the score is. We just want to see these kids play. And wouldn't you know it, they outperformed what they were doing in these limited roles. Right. And you're, you seem to be having that every night now is that experience of no expectations. It's just seeing what you got in RJ, see what you got in quickly. And am I, am I describing that correctly? That it's you like definitely are. Yeah. the wins and losses are kind of secondary at this point. We're seeing what a young team that doesn't necessarily need to like last night that they came back late in the fourth quarter against yeah. the Bulls made it a close game. Is that the experience right now going on in Toronto? Absolutely. And you have this, it's it's like this weird feeling of you are, you have no idea what this next little bit holds other than knowing like Scotty Barnes is part of the future. RJ Barrett is part of the future. Emmanuel Quickly is part of the future, but there's still three weeks, three weeks left until the deadline. And so you're like, who, which, who else is going to go in this scenario? And so you're still, we're still a little bit in that transition phase. It's like, okay, our, our, our team's going to, trade for Chris Boucher or Gary Trent Jr. or Jakob Pertl or whoever, right? And so it hasn't set in fully, but the vibes are incredible. Um, the fact that they're like it's this young team that is always feisty. You talk about like the Clippers game from last week where without Pascal, without Jakob Pertl, they kind of fought tooth and nail to go back and forth against like one of the best teams in the NBA. That Lakers game where they went back and forth too. Um, there's just been a lot of fun games. And that could not be said about the Raptors from October to December. That just wasn't the case. Even from last year, that wasn't the case. And so you have this like fun, feisty young team that is trying to figure things out. There's a bunch of new guys who are trying to like develop camaraderie and chemistry together on the go. Um, and I just, I guess it's it's exciting from that perspective. You also wonder, and maybe this is something you can shed light on. It's like you're you're starting a reset, right? And you're starting a rebuild. And so there's that level of maybe fear that this could take longer than you think it will. You know, you look at the Detroits of the world, you look at the Orlandos of the world. It took them a while to kind of get themselves out of this rut, right? Even in Detroit, they're still in that rut. So I, I just, I don't know. I think that's in the back of people's minds. And even Messiah Jerry yesterday was like, Hey, like this thing could take six, seven years. This thing could take three or five years. We don't know, but the reset has happened and we need you guys to stay patient. And so that part to me is, is different than what we've had to deal with over the last 10 years, you know? Is assuming that a Knicks fan would be able to speak on this because of how many <laughs> yeah. rebuilds we've gone through over yes. the last two decades? Absolutely. I think you are a great example of this, you know, no, in, in all honesty, you know what I mean? It just so, I mean, to your point, I think the the key here, and it, I mean, this is where I have to turn it back on onto you, is yeah. do you trust who's in charge? Because the Knicks' incompetence over the last few days, two decades, coincides with Scott Layden and Isaiah Thomas and right. Phil Jackson and 
uh, Steve Mills and mm. just flat out guys that just didn't know what they were doing when they were yep. in front in charge of the organization. Now there's a Dolan factor to all of that and an urgency. Like they're, they're just not allowed to tank and you got to put yep. on a show on Broadway. And I know there's another Dolan thing going on that we're just not going to talk about right. today. Yep. But the point is like, I trust who's in charge now with the Knicks. Like I trust Leon Rose yeah. and their ability to, if they like two years ago when they had that down season, I still had like a baseline trust. They tried something with Kemba Walker. It didn't work. He was gone by the deadline. They, they tried something with Evan Fournier. They tried it for a year and 12 games into the following season, he was out of the rotation and really hasn't been back since. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of the the steps that they've taken since then have all been positive steps forward. And I think if you have that same trust in Masai that he built it once, he has torn it down. I think, I think smartly, you know, there's, yeah, there's yeah. letting, letting Fred walk, letting Kyle walk is, is a choice. But like, as far as this year and the trades that they've made, yeah. like getting players back in one that can be part of your rebuild and then getting picks back in another so that way it can be assets in the future, I think is has been well. But do you trust Masai to have torn it down and be able to real rebuild it back up again? So it's interesting because Masai has never torn it down anywhere he's you know been a GM. Even mm-hmm. with the uh, Denver and and the Mellow trade, which you will remember very fondly, um, or not fondly, I'm not sure. I don't know. But I, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, yeah, I wonder, I, am I fond of Carmelo <laughs> Anthony? Yes, <laughs> I didn't see that there. Oh yeah. Yes, um, yes. So yeah, I mean, like, like that. Even that trade catapulted Denver back into the playoff race almost immediately with like guys like Wilson Chandler and all that. Like they they figured it out through a different route. It wasn't really a full blown reset. In Toronto, there were plans initially to do that. Like when he first got here, he wanted to trade Kyle Lowry. He wanted to maybe move from DeMar DeRozan and like start over. And that didn't happen. They just, they found a way to do things. And, you know, the next 10 years happened. I just, this is somewhat uncharted territory for Masai building from the so on so forth bottom, but he does have a good foundation to build off of. Now, to be fair, I'd be lying to you if I said some of the mistakes and, you know, shakiness over the last four or five years hasn't built a level of, I don't know, not even distrust. Distrust would be too strong, but just like questioning what is next and how they're supposed to maneuver. Because to your point, yes, they did as good as they could, given the circumstances around OG and around Pascal. But if they did these trades last year, they without a doubt would have gotten more if they traded Pascal two years ago, they without a doubt would have gotten more. Um, And so there's like these little things. It's like missing on the Malachi Flynn pick and, you know, draft all all respect to evil Dante, all all respect to (laughs) Nick's legend, Malachi Flynn. Evil Dante. uh, (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, there's this level of like, okay, you know, signing Aaron Baines and that doesn't work out. There's like these little marginal things that the Raptors, used to nail, right? And they haven't nailed over these last four or five years, which is brought into question if the leadership is really as solid as it was beforehand. Now, to be fair, yesterday, Masai had a really like emotional press conference. It was over an hour long. I was sitting in there and you're like, you could feel the tension and emotion with what he was saying. Um, And so you kind of want to shoot him bail because he obviously has an incredible track record and maybe one of the best executives of all time in basketball. So you trust it. You trust the process. There's this really big thing among Rapsters Twitter, which is like trust Masai. That's still there. 
But now it's a new scenario, uncharted territory. You're heading into something new and it's there's uncertainty, you know? Yeah. And the the uncharted territory, I think, is why this is this is going to be something new and a yeah. different experience for for Ra- the, the Raptors fans that you're referring to. And yeah. man, you outside of the Scotty Barnes, you, you really have to commend them that this is more than a decade that you've really had to even think about like a, a legitimate rebuild. Yeah. In in Toronto. So, I mean, look, we we looked we hope to get there one day here in New York. I, we're, I we're, think we're, we're I, trending in that direction. You know, I, I I said this as soon. I promise you there's there's receipts. You can go and look at the videos on SDPN. I made a video comparing Kyle Lowry and Jalen Brunson and just the the compare. The comparison was mostly like this guy who came into this organization and a lot of people said they were overrated or overhyped or not good enough. And every single year drives their team to the playoffs. Every single year brings consistency to the team. Every single year you have them in conversation for all-stars and all-NBAs. The fact that you have a player like Jalen Brunson, in my opinion, is your foundation to have that 10-year run, that consistency. And you know, hopefully, maybe at some point, Ladies and gentlemen, an NBA championship. But yeah, we'll see. Well, the even more accurate comp is if Julius Randle, with respect to DeMar DeRozan, yes. is your DeMar DeRozan and you right. potentially move him one day for... A there's there's a lot of weird parallels, actually. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's kind of strange. But yes, yeah, I agree. What's up, Knicks fans? Quick break to tell you about our new sponsor, Prize Picks. Not only are they the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America, but they're also the easiest and most exciting way to play. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, it's just you against the numbers, picking more than or less than on a two to six player stat projection. With basketball season fully underway, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League. This is a league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, take Jalen Brunson over in points or Julius Randle over in rebounds and combine it with two NFL picks like Lamar Jackson over in rushing yards or Zach Wilson over in interceptions. Prize Picks is a really simple way to play. Prize Picks offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. Like on Taco Tuesday each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. Prize Picks now offers Apple Pay for quick and easy deposits into your account all basketball season. You know what to do. Go to prizepicks.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash KFS and use code KFS for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, it's daily fantasy sports made easy. Well, stylistically... Uh, I like the comp. I will say that I, I do like the Brunson to Lowry, like the base level of competence that you're getting with him um, and the base level of competition that you're getting with, yeah. with both of these players. Stylistically, they're a little different. And sure. I think this is where we dive into the X's and O's a little bit of what's working in Toronto. Yeah. And RJ Barrett is off to an outstanding start. Um, <laughs> I brought up the effective field goal percentage he had with the Knicks this season, that it was as low after that, that nine game compound V version of him that existed. Um, then he became like last year Kobe. And since going to Toronto, it's it, he's taking extra compound V and he's, yeah. he's got a 60 effective field goal percentage at the moment. Some <laughs> things that have stood out 
It's his highest field goal percentage, but it's also his lowest field goal attempts per game since his rookie season. Mm-hmm. It's his, it's a 39% from three, but it's also his fewest three-point attempts since the second year in the league when he was just relegated to corners and was outstanding at them. And like he's averaging his most assists a game for his first career in Toronto. It's his most rebounds per game in Toronto. Um, I also know Jacob Pertles or Jakob Pertles has been out for a little bit and they've yeah. been going five out. And this mm-hmm. is what RJ thrived on in FIBA. It was like the rims wide open was his comment right. at one point. So stylistically, are the Raptors doing things different that are catering to RJ's strengths or just from the outside looking in as a Knicks fan? Is RJ going through one of those stretches where you he makes you believe and you know, it's only nine I, games. What what would you only ten games? What would you say is the the medium take in, in all of that? I honestly wish you could answer that question. Cause <laughs> I I, like, I I mean, I don't know either. I, I wrote an article on Forbes about this where I'm like, RJ Barrett is playing the best basketball maybe of his career. And I read it and I I felt like I was James Franco in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. <laughs> oh, right. Being like, ah, oh, first time? First time, yeah. right. Yeah, exactly. What's funny is the next night was the... Yeah, the, the dud. The I know. game where he was awful, you know? Yeah, I know, I know. And, and I, I just, I don't know what to make of it because it's been like eight games, nine games now, and he's been incredible. But he's had nine, like you said, he had a nine-game stretch to start this season. He's had nine-game stretches before. He, he's had 20-game stretches before where he's put together really good basketball. He was great in the playoffs last year for you guys. Like, we've seen a level of R.J. Barrett. The, the couple of things I'll say that are different, like tangibly, the Raptors are much more of a transition team. They are like going to emphasize fast break points. And RJ, even before he came to Toronto, was one of the best transition players in the NBA. So like he could get there so much more often now in Toronto because they emphasize it more. So transition, he's killing it. They're running it more often. They're pushing it in transition more. It's helping him get easy points. The other thing is, I think they're emphasizing actions, which allow him to get downhill momentum before he catches the ball. And that's the biggest thing I've noticed. I'm not sure if that was not the case in New York, because I do think in some instances he did have that, but they're having him curl to the basket, get downhill. And then as a cutter Mm. being, you know, being used as a guy who catches the ball on the go finishes, he has that momentum. Cause one of those things is like RJ doesn't necessarily have the quickest first step. He doesn't necessarily have like that, that burst to the rim type of ability. But if he's without the ball and he's running, he's still a quick enough guy to where if, and a strong enough guy to where if he catches the ball on the go, he can kind of bully his way to a drive and finish. And that's where he's absolutely thriving. His drives, I think he's shooting 20% better on his drives compared to when he was in New York, which is just like a, a staggering number. Uh, and he's doing it at the same attempt rate when it comes to field goals. So it's like a lot of this, feels sustainable. I don't know about the three-point shooting, which started off really hot. It's sort of cooled down now. And I'm kind of curious to see where the playmaking falls because they are putting the hands, uh, they are putting the ball in his hands more, especially with second units. They're like, go be our facilitator. I am curious to see how long this this sticks though, the finishing and the rim finishing, because I know I just, I just know so much about RJ and the stretches that he goes through that I'm expecting it in the back of my head head for there to be some sort of downfall. But so far it's been incredible, dude. Like he has been playing perfect basketball and it's, I, I don't know what to make of it, man. I really don't know what to make of it. 
again, it's these stretches that make you believe. And yeah. it's like, oh, this is why he was taken third overall. And like you bring up the cutting and using him in that way. The Knicks mostly ran these pistol set pistol sets and it would get him going downhill. But like you said, on the dribble and they'd use a Hartenstein or a Mitch screen, which is why the guy was like in the top percentile in drives. Yeah. Uh, shout out to, to Schwinney Poo over at the Strickland gave me this great stat right before RJ got traded. Um, he was uh, in the he's in the top 100 of total drives and he was sixth in field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the biggest thing because you said his percentage has gotten better on drives yeah. um, his field goal percentage. We'll see how sustainable that is. Um, he's also had he also at the at the time of the trade with those numbers had the lowest pass percentage out of drives. And I think the biggest thing is seeing the assist go up. And this is the version of RJ we saw at the beginning of the year. It's like, oh, if you're going to be a dual threat and actually see the guy on the wing. And that just went away after the migraines. And that's what I've at least noticed in the the times I've watched the Raptors again on the second screen is that he's facilitating more. Is that is that a fair thing that I'm catching up for sure that he's being a bit more of a dual threat that you have to honor the drive as well as the pass. He's being asked to do it more. Um, And I think that's an area where they want him to grow and evolve, especially in the pick and roll. Like the, the difference between him and OG is that RJ has a much better handle. Like he can dribble the ball a little bit better. I'm sure we'll get into that. You don't say. (laughs) I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. But like RJ's ball handling ability really helps this Raptors team because he can, like, let's say an advantage is created on one side of the floor, Scotty in a post up or whatever. And then they swing, swing. There's a quick pick and roll action with RJ on the other side. And now empty side pick and roll. He can make that little pocket pass to the big rolling or he can make the pass. Um, across the corner to hit the three. Like these are simple things, but they're also simple things that OG just was not capable of doing. And that adds a level, a dynamic offensively to this Raptors team. So yeah, it's looked really good so far, playmaking wise. Well, I'm curious to see what version of RJ shows up at the garden on Saturday night. I'm also curious. He mentioned something in a recent interview, like what reaction he's going to get. I expect it to be overwhelmingly positive. There's like... (laughs) Like there's there's this thing that Knicks fans have of like the once a Nick always a Nick, right? And like we have all these guys that come back and sit courtside. I, don't, I understand a lot was me of the Oakley of it all, but like Carmelo Anthony and Amari Stoudemire come to games yeah. all the time now and are heroes. You know John Starks, Alan Houston, all these guys that right. won nothing for yeah. the Knicks and they come back and are heroes. And I have to think RJ is going to fall in that category. One person I know is going to get a rousing ovation on Saturday Quick. night is yeah. Emmanuel quickly. Yeah. And look, the the goodbye letter he put in the Players Tribune, I had some tissues nearby while I was reading it. <laughs> and it was a, a recognition of like why you fall in love with with athletes and why you invest in them emotionally. And it's cool to see it reciprocated. I will say, outside of the three-point shooting, just the stats in general have been underwhelming. I, I do like that his assist numbers are up, or at least I've yeah. noticed the assist numbers are up and he's passing. Like he's being a point guard. Yeah. Um, your assessment of Emmanuel quickly through the first 10 games. They don't know how to use him yet, man. They do not know how to use him yet. That's my main analysis. And I've been har- harping on this multiple times. There's, it's a two part thing. Okay. Um, w- the first thing is I feel like he's being a little bit passive. Um, and that goes to the playmaking and assist. Like he's, I think he's actively trying to get players involved and be this sort of floor general, him being thrusted into that role as a starting point guard 
has maybe taken away his aggression a little bit because there are nights where he will get to the basket. There are nights where he is looking for a shot, but then nights like last night where he's not necessarily looking for a shot, not necessarily looking for it, but he's trying to get guys involved. And I think that's the learning curve he needs to have as a starting point guard. It's like figuring out what, how do I guess maintain or balance that level between scoring and aggression and playmaking? Cause like there are moments in transition where it's like, dude, pull up, take the mm. shot. We need this all good. Like go for it. This is a better shot than whatever else they could find in that opportunity. And so like, I just want him to let it fly a little bit more offensively. I think that's the thing that's holding him back from those staggering numbers. Now he's had some really good games um, and some really explosive games. You see like stretches where he'll score like, 10, 15 unanswered. And you're like, whoa, where did this, you know? Um, exactly. yeah. Right. So, so you want that to sort of build into something consistent where he is making plays, but also is looking for his shots. And that eventually in the next couple of years will mold into him being like a really good starting point guard, but it's balancing that thing right now. That is most important to me. Um, let it fly, man. Like that's, that's the main thing. And the Raptors also, I think need to find ways to maximize him off ball a little bit more. They are doing some like flex actions that have him popping out, you know, to the three point line or some like little like elevator screen type stuff to get him popping out above the break to shoot. But for the most part, it feels like some of that. I, I'm going to liken it to like his favorite player. Quick's favorite player is Steph, right? Mm -hmm. The little ingenuity between Steph and Draymond is like they'll have their own two man game where you know, he'll pitch it to Draymond. Draymond will pitch it back to him. Steph is constantly in movement. They're like playing this little chess game with each other to avoid the defender. And then Steph t takes this ridiculous shot and makes it right quick. And Scotty need to develop that type of chemistry on the floor together. They do not have that chemistry on the floor together right now. They need to figure that out. And that's going to be like a long-term process, not just this season, but next too. And, and in the future, you know, well, what I got to say is some of the lineups that I've I've noticed have been really successful. And I just went to clean the glass to make sure that I test and data match. And it, right. it does confirm it in 278 possessions of Schroeder and quickly together. Um, it's a plus 5.2 and the 95th percentile in, in offense, 124 yeah, points. So like this is the lineup that worked the best in New York was Jalen Brunson, Emmanuel quickly. That's right. not to say he can't be the point guard of the future, but it's almost like if you have an overqualified ball handler at the two in quickly with the wingspan, like you said, he has the ability to play off ball as yeah. well. So I wonder if that also means not that they're in the market for a point guard of the future, but that the backup point guard will still be essential in Toronto, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Um, yeah. And I actually think a big reason that Schroeder and uh, IQ lineup does well is because they're so good defensively too. Like they yeah. are, they're both hounds uh, at the point of attack. Like they're just hounding guys and IQ and Schroeder. They have like this little two man game that works defensively where they're kind of communicating what the reads and coverages are. Um, and so that, that helps on that end offensively, like having another ball handler is going to help in those scenarios. And like you said, him excelling off ball, it's just about finding ways to maximize a guy like quick because he can be so deadly off ball and sometimes it's harder to incorporate off-ball players than it is a guy who you can just throw the ball to and say, make it happen, you know? Speaking of Dennis Schroeder, 
your best guess is he on the team on February 9th? Yeah, I know there's a lot of talk recently about this. I feel like it's like there's no way they trade him because really, yeah, he he is Darko's beloved child. Like they they obviously have a very deep connection from uh, OKC, and he was the reason he signed here in the first place. I would be very surprised unless they are like blown away with an offer. Uh, for them to trade Dennis Schroeder. Um, and he's been really good. Like I, I think since coming off of the bench, he's been one of the best bench players in the league. Um, it's only been like a month now, but he's been really, really excellent. So yeah, I think he stays, to be honest with you. I would I would look more to maybe Gary Trent Jr., maybe Chris Boucher, maybe Jakob Pertle. That's that's another thing where it's like maybe there's a world in which that happens. And obviously like the Bruce Brown situation, we'll see. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way... Knicks fans, okay. how you doing? Uh, what's going on? I saw Quentin Grimes did not do so well. Uh, wasn't too hot the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you know, uh, could, could, my could goodness, little scratch each other's back type of thing, huh? So you know, you know for, for a little behind the scenes. So you know how the OG trade happened. The OG quickly RG trade happened when I was at the movies. Yeah. So I went to the city, New York City, on on Wednesday, and I went to like one of these limited screens. I saw the Zone of Interest. It's a very high caliber Oscar movie, right? Okay. And I cool. text the Knicks Film School group chat, like, "Hey, like I know that the last time I went to the movies, like the world collapsed, and we needed to jump into emergency mode. Please text me if something happens. <laughs> and like I, I I'm not going on airplane mode this time. I'm going on Do Not Disturb, and I got nothing." When I tell you maybe minutes after I sent the that text, the Pascal trade happened. And I was like, where was the text? You said, it didn't involve the Knicks. And I was like, okay, fair. Like, it, yeah, it did yeah. happen, though. And there was a, a split second during the day. And maybe maybe a couple hours it, it became where we thought Obi was going to be in that trade. Right. Yeah. yeah and then yeah. you would have had those three. And then, to your point about Bruce Brown, if it's like, well... Quentin Grimes, Emmanuel, uh, uh, Evan Fournier for Bruce Brown. And then you just have like six film school up, up north where uh, <laughs> you have these Knicks that are just going to be watched. The, the, yeah. the Raptors that are just going to be watched. Toronto Knicks. Knicks yeah, essentially. Yeah. It's like when Adam Silver looks at the league pass ratings, it's like <laughs> there's a spike in New York for all Raptors games for some reason. And, uh, Helping out the smaller markets. Exactly. That's how it works. You know, so for some reason, Indiana is beginning a ton of play yeah. in New York. And, oh, yeah. You know, who knows where Quentin Grimes ends up. I, just your personal opinion, like the Knicks have Josh Hart. Do they need Bruce Brown? So Bruce Brown is a little different than Josh Hart, um, in my opinion. I think okay. he is a little bit more of a ball handler. Like he can make some plays for you. He is, a. I think, in a similar way to Josh Hart, he's an excellent cutter, great off-ball guy, great rebounder for his size, can play multiple positions. Like all those things that Josh Hart can do, he can do as well. But you add an extra ball handler in Bruce Brown. Now, to be fair... It's not the scoring ball handler you guys sort of want. I know mm-hmm. like there's conversations about Jordan Clarkson. There was that report today or yesterday about Jordan Clarkson being involved. But I think Bruce would actually be better because of how good of a defender he is. And like point of attack, the Knicks would literally not have. OK, maybe they not not one bad defender, but like they would be so stout one through eight defensively or one through nine defensively that I think it's like. It's worth investing in a guy who might not be as good offensively as you'd want, 
but can help you as this like defensive minded guy, Swiss army knife on offense and can be thrown into lineups with Josh Hart and Dante DiVincenzo can be thrown into lineups with the starters and close if you want to in certain scenarios. I just think there's so much flexibility to adding a guy like Bruce Brown. I'm not going to say he's like the missing piece to a championship, but he might be the like, let's say second round, you're playing the Celtics or you're playing the Sixers and like OG is doing great. Maybe Randall isn't having the best of series and like a Bruce Brown game steals you game three. You know what I mean? Like that's the type of guy that Bruce Brown is. He showed that last year in Denver. I think he could be a really important piece for the Knicks if they get him. So here's the the counter that I have. Yeah, yeah, go for it. You mentioned that they wouldn't have a weak link on defense. Well, since the trade, they're second in defense. So yeah. I actually think the defense has somewhat been fixed. They have a starting five right now with an unreal. Now, again, it's 10 games. Their schedule has been somewhat soft, so I'm not overreacting to it too much. But the last two postseasons featuring Tom Thibodeau's Knicks, they've been fine defensively. It's the mm-hmm. offense that has just fallen off a cliff. Now, some of that is Julius Randle. Some of that is just the style the Knicks play. It's very hard to score points in the half court. And what they've lost in this trade is just so much creation. And while I think Bruce Brown could absolutely contribute and maybe, like you said, a Bruce Brown game might happen, I don't foresee like, oh, Randle only played 20 minutes in a playoff game. That's just like, and this is like the the issue sometimes I have with Tibbs where it's like, read the room, Randle doesn't have it. Um, you can play like other players at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think like in those Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo lineups, I'd want OG to be the four in that stretch. Right. And it's why I think the actual like an actual point guard, like Deuce McBride can take Quentin Grimes' minutes when when this whatever trade happens. Right. Um I think the an actual guard is more where the Knicks are. And I think an actual Well, what if you did both the rotation? I mean, I think New York so might be who's the pre- guard. So no, no, like separate trades, right? Okay. Um, you do the Evan Fournier, Quentin Grimes, Bruce Brown thing, and then another trade for another guard or something along the lines of that. I may, I don't know where you, I, I have to check the salary books. Cause I don't know what the South, like what you could kind of cobble up to go out and get someone else. But what is Bruce Brown making this year? 22. Oh, that's that's forty eight plus Grimes. Grimes yeah, it's it's like it's like yeah. perfect. It's like a perfect salary match. It wouldn't even. Yeah, I would rather personally, and this is not a knock on on Bruce Brown. I just yeah. the Knicks have no spacing on the second unit, and honestly, the spacing at the moment is kind of kind of eh. Right, and to go and trade for a Bruce Brown who would. I mean, he'd be a backup, but like Malcolm Brogdon continues to be the name that I'm staring at. That's like, oh, that's the perfect. Like, right, right, right. you're replacing the the guy that finished second in six man of the year with the, the six man of the year. Like yeah, yeah. that's the, the actual name I go to. I don't want to trade Quentin, Quentin Grimes for him. I there's writing on the wall that Quentin Grimes will be gone at the deadline, no matter what. And I don't yeah. agree with it, but I am learning to understand it. Um, yeah. It seems that like at least, it's like, it's that at least I can understand. It's not even so. Yes. It's run its course, but it's the process to the, to the course right. that I'm I'm very frustrated with that apparently it's like because he was hurt in the playoffs last year Tibbs held that against him which right. is why DiVincenzo was signed which is why DiVincenzo became the starter it's why like him Grimes speaking up and it's just like Grimes hasn't helped at all but even when he's played well since the trade 
he's getting 15, 16 minute stretches and right. Josh Hart played poorly and the Knicks offense suffered and Grimes was still seeing 16 minutes a game. And I, right. I don't blame him for being like, you're not going to play me. Why would I like it at a certain point you have to like consider the, the human involved here. And that's yeah. why I'm, I'm frustrated by the process of it all. Having said that, I think getting Bruce Brown can, in my opinion, be a bit more redundant in what the Knicks currently need. And Fair it's enough. like they, they need a creator. And it's why the it's why Malcolm Brogdon just makes too much sense for this yeah. team right now. Tyus Jones, man. I keep coming back to Tyus Jones. Him too. Him yeah. too. 14 assists last night against the Knicks. I think yeah. the and this is the complicated part about the Knicks right now is they're like trying to have their cake and eat it too. Right. And it's like we need to get a point guard. But he also has to be under contract for next yeah. year. We want to go get Joel Embiid or Donovan Mitchell or whomever yeah. this summer. So we need the salary that we would have had if we had Fournier. Um, so that's at least where the Knicks needs are. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And this is a good transition into how the Knicks have played since said trade of OG Ananobi. So we talked about my experience on the second screen. How has your experience been? The Knicks are eight and two, as I mentioned, like all these complaints I have about Tibbs and it's like, it's, it's window dressing. They're eight and two. They have the second best net rating, the second best net rating, second best defense in the league since the trade. They're the, the, the ceiling I will project if they get Malcolm Brogdon is very high. Yeah. What about you? Where do you where do you stand on what you've seen from the Knicks since the OG trade? I just think they're so much more of a ready playoff team. Uh, and they were a good playoff team last year. I mean, they got to the second round, gave the the Heat a good fight, but like they would have a much better fight now with OG against the Miami Heat. They just have like a, a solution to guard a Jimmy Butler, a solution to guard a Jason Tatum if it comes to it. Hey, a solution to guard Joel Embiid at times if it comes to it. Like the the Swiss Army knife that OG is on defense to be, and I'm sure you've seen it over the last 10 days, like the ability to just like shut down the opposing best player, like that is a unique marvel unto his own. Like he he can do that and then knocking down the corner threes, the cutting off of the ball, the like movement shooting and things like that, that he can also try to, you know, tap into. Those are all things that I think were so important to what New York needed from like that three and D position, that wing position that was so like, especially next to Brunson and Randall, it's like, it seems like he's feasting off of advantages that those guys create. And uh, first of all, happy for OG seems like he's thriving. Uh, not one to talk much. I know like 
yesterday, the, the, I think one of the Knicks reporters was asking about like his return to and go, going up against the Raptors, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Yeah, it's gonna be fun. I hope we can win." And it's like that's that's, that's very it. typical OG Ananobi. But when it comes to everything he does for the team, I think he just. A, a glue guy, but like if glue was gorilla glue, you know, like if it was that nice, the, 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 have you seen the meme of the guy with the tape and the water and he smacks the, the thing and it shuts yes. the, the water from leaking? That's flex what, seal. Oh, yeah, flex, flex tape, seal, That's flex, flex tape, tape. Yeah, flex tape yeah. exactly. That's what OG Ananobi is for this Knicks team where he's like plugging holes on defense. He's, he's being this solution for them on offense when teams are loading up on Randall and Brunson. It's just, it completes them in a really good way. And it also helps that I think at the same time, in tandem with that, Isaiah Hartenstein is balling his ass off. Like mm-hmm. he is absolutely dominating on the defensive glass. He's he's getting it after it defensively as well. The pick and roll stuff between him and OG in terms of the defense, exceptional. And so you're not even feeling the loss of Mitch Robinson as much as you would, you know, if you didn't have a guy like Hartenstein. So I think those two things in tandem have really helped the Knicks over the last 10 or whatever games. So I agree with 99.9% of what you said. What's the point one? Let's hear it. The way, the way they're feeling the loss of Mitchell Robinson is the precious Chua minutes. <laughs> My goodness, were you right about this? Um, I, you know, I, sometimes you're, you're told that there's a cliff ahead of you and you say, no, like I, I see a bridge. I, I, I see, I see road up ahead. And <laughs> My goodness, like there's been spurts of like, oh, I see oh, why teams yeah, take right. chances on him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just that there, like, there was there was a moment last night in the Wizards game where I'm just watching and he's like not fighting for rebounds, and that's like that's like Jordan Poole getting an uncontested rebound. Man, like I could see why Tibbs didn't play him in the second half, and there's been a couple times where he hasn't yeah. played him in second halves, and it's led to these minutes for Hartenstein for OG. And it's, I think he's, I think he's sending a clear message to the front office. Like I'm not playing these non NBA players that you send me, <laughs> or at least non rotation players that you yeah. send me. Your, your perspective of seeing OG, like you, as I mentioned, you're seeing him on a second screen and any amount of that you miss him, you get to see a ton of him because he's always on the court for the Knicks. Right. Like your, your thoughts or your perspective on seeing the, the the Knicks minutes load specifically for OG since the trade. Go look at his minutes load um, under Nick Nurse. Literally what, what Tim said last night. I knew he could do it because he played in Toronto last year. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if there, there was a time last year where Nick Nurse's uh, nickname was Nick Tibbs. Because, because ah, he would go. he would do the same thing. And so, um, yeah, this is something he's used to, man. This is just something OG is used to. And like maybe it leads to some injuries here and there for him. I'm not sure. I don't think it did in the time in Toronto for him. Like I, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's like or a, a couple of podcasts ago, a lot of his injuries were just like fluke fake injuries that he had. And I don't think that would happen with just like increasing a minutes load. So I wouldn't worry. I honestly wouldn't worry about that. I think that's just something that he is incredibly used to. Um, The one thing I would say is like, I I would keep an eye on the three point shooting once the minute load goes up, because like you just don't have your legs under you late in games for those situations. Now, to be fair, he's well prepared for that because he's again, he's been doing it for a really long time, but that's the one thing I guess I would keep an eye on. Yeah. The, 
honestly, the way you were talking about getting RJ going downhill as a cutter, that's just how they've used OG in the starting five. And yep. the the symmetry and the synergy that they're developing in the starting five has just it's why it's weird. Like the DeJounte Murray rumors are out there, and there's always gonna be a Donovan Mitchell question. I just Dante DiVincenzo, Dante DiVincenzo is shooting like close to 50% since going to the starting five from three yeah. point range. It's gone down the last couple of games, but my goodness, I, I just don't want to break up something that's working. Yeah. And um, it's why I think they'll go back a point guard as far as a, a move that is made. Um, and then you go to Saturday night when the Knicks play the Raptors and it, it's OG against RJ and quick. Um, the Raptors have actually and, played and the, the, and the Quentin Grimes trade will happen. Yeah, and the, obviously that's where they'll consummate it. It'll be yes, at, at a hotel. Hey, hey, the Knicks, the Knicks OG trade happened when they were here, right? When they were so. in Toronto. Exactly. I've been yeah. doing that every time they go play, like they just played the Blazers. Hey, yeah. come on over for, to our suite. We'll, we'll talk about Malcolm Brogdon. They played right. the Wizards twice. What it would it take to get Tyus Jones? I've right. figured that all these conversations are happening. Um, what are you expecting from this matchup as far as this game is concerned? Like the Knicks are coming in on fumes. Josh Hart didn't play against the Wizards. So as far as the game goes, I think the Raptors have a, a very good chance of winning it. But going in, like what are Raptors fans expecting in the first game against OG? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see who OG guards. I'm pretty sure it'll be Scotty. And those guys are really close friends. Even yesterday, like Scotty was asking and like Scotty's a pretty shy and timid guy when it comes to the media. Like he's not answering a lot of questions and whatnot, whatnot. Like he's not giving the most thorough answers. But when it came to OG, he just like his smile lit up and he was like talking and talking and like just being excited about playing against OG. So I think that's that's probably what Raptors fans are looking forward to most. Um, if you're looking from a Raptors fan perspective, they probably expect a loss because mm. this is just the way it works against former Raptors turned, you know, different teams. Like the, they play Pascal Siakam on Valentine's day in Indiana. And I guarantee you, they think that Pascal is going to drop like 50 on them. So I think it's just like a, they're waiting for a revenge game from OG type of thing on the other side, maybe there's a revenge game from RJ and quick. So I don't know. I, I really don't know. I know there's going to be a lot of emotions from both sides because, you know, quick and RJ, they were obviously fan favorites in, in New York. And then OG was a massive fan favorite in Toronto. So just going to be a lot of emotions on Saturday. They put, you think they'll put Scotty on Randall? Mm. Yeah. They've been putting him on bigs more often since the OG trade. Uh, so I would say, yes, I would probably wager. Yes. And then you have like, Quick on Brunson. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, probably like RJ, maybe RJ on OG or whatever. But yeah. So I asked that because I was wondering if we get Randall on RJ minutes and you have you have. I mean, that was the redundant piece that a lot of right. X fans were like, trade Randall, keep RJ um, like that. That was a conversation in New York that uh, did exist. And I, I, uh, Randall did not do the greatest in his first matchup against Obi when they played the Pacers. Granted, that was the day of the Knicks Raptors trade. So I think oh, right. things yeah. were going on yeah. for uh, Julius Randle that day. 
Uh, but look, I, I'm sure you feel the exact same way. It's just going to feel weird to look at someone in a yeah. different uniform in, in this building on, on Saturday night. Um, and I'm sure it'll be the same whenever the Knicks go up to Toronto yeah. next. I believe they still play each other one more time. I think so. Season, right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. You yeah. know, you know, what's weird. You mentioned the Randall and Barrett thing. I actually think RJ is benefiting a lot from being the only left-handed player on the roster. It's crazy to say. It's it's like ah, a weird it's like okay. a weird thing to mention, right? Because you're like, what? Like, of course, it, that doesn't make any sense. They play on both sides of the ball, but RJ is so left hand dominant, and like he loves driving left that the lane is a little bit more open to him because hey, Bronson likes driving left, Randall likes driving left. Like this is this is like a thing, you know? And they they like using their left hand dominantly too. It's like you you were so heavy on that side of the floor that maybe being the only left-handed guy is actually benefiting RJ. I don't know. It's just a theory I have, but yeah. Yeah. It, that's the other thing with, with Isaiah Hartenstein going into the starting five. It's like, oh, there right. are four lefties in the, the starting <laughs> five at the moment. This is just, this is, right. the Knicks have a thing. It's, it's particular to CAA and Kentucky and Villanova and left-handed basketball players. Right. It's why yeah. when, when James Harden was available this offseason. Might as well. Yeah. I was like, I can't do another high usage lefty. I just cannot do it. There's just they would all just every- be on one side of the floor. The it's other just gonna be a NASCAR race. Everybody's going left. Like, what is <laughs> what is going on? You know? Um, last thing, and this is more funny than anything else, but the reaction by you and Raptors fans when you saw Evil Dante trending. Right. Yeah, that was funny. That, mm-hmm. that was really fun. It's because he has gotten a a teammate adjacent nickname pretty much everywhere he's gone. He was called Red Van Vliet uh, here in Toronto for a little bit. That's amazing, by the way. <laughs> it, it is. It is good. I won't lie. And Evil Dante is good, too. Like, Evil Dante <laughs> is great. I, I just think, um, how is he doing, by the way? How is Malachi so far? So he's only really gotten run in, in two games. He okay. got uh, the backup point guard minutes for Deuce McBride against Memphis on Saturday. I actually thought he did really well. And it was a, a point of not contention, but like of question after the game. He played yeah. a really good first half. And then Tibbs played Deuce and Hartenstein right. the entire second half. I was like, I didn't think he deserved to be benched for the second half. Yeah. Then against Orlando he was less good and um, you saw kind of why, and uh, this is the, the empathy I have for Tibbs in the situation. These minutes have been insane, right? And he's mm-hmm. playing these guys a ton, like playoff rotations Monday, no Jalen Brunson. They're playing Orlando. I actually thought he, he let the leash go a little bit right. and was like, all right, I'm going to put these lineups out there. I don't, uh, you could question the, the different actual lineups he chose, but like we saw Precious go back in in the second half. We saw Malachi go out in the second half and like a struggling Josh Hart played a ton and Orlando got back in the game and like a struggling Julius Randle even had to got, got some rest because of his ankle and right. like I, I empathize that Tibbs doesn't have guys he trusts which once he tries to widen the circle it's like, oh, we lost. Okay, I can't have that. So I'm going to yeah. go back to this four-man rotation and maybe right. a fifth person is allowed in. So I, all this to say, I don't, I don't think Malachi Flynn is, is going to factor into the, the long term. I honestly think yeah. he might yeah. flip him in a one-for-one because one, obviously he can't be, be aggregated right. in any potential deal they're about to make. Um, yeah. no, but the shout-out to a really talented graphic designer on Nick's Twitter, Nick's Homer, uh, <laughs> who came up who literally during the 
Minnesota game, that first game on New Year's Day was <laughs> like, uh, Malachi looks like evil Dante. And it had me like rolling for an entire quarter of that game. <laughs> and it's just caught on since then. So, Oh, that's so good. That's yeah, good. Yeah. Well, I'm sure for all of us on Saturday, um, it'll be, as we've said throughout this pod, an emotional night. Um, yeah. Hopefully it's also a competitive basketball game. And we'll see what happens in RJ Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly's first trip back to MSG as visitors and in OG Ananobi and Malachi Flynn and Precious Chua's first game against the Toronto Raptors. S, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Um, I look forward to you coming back whenever the Knicks and Raptors make another trade, which might be, in which the clearly might year. happen. Yeah. I mean, yes. it might, it might be right after the game. Who knows? Just be like, Man, Bruce, Bruce, stay here. You know, if we're linking up on Sunday because <laughs> Hey, they made another trade. You want to come on the pod? Uh, we can, by the way, the Knicks go to Toronto on March 27th. There you go. So we'll obviously link up and talk about OG's yeah. trip back to, to uh, Toronto and I'll, I'll get an update on how RJ Barrett's doing. I'm very yeah. curious to see what his numbers. Oh like. yeah. A month and a half, you know, a little, a couple larger yeah. sample size. We'll see. Larger sample size. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Before you get out of here, tell people where they can find you on the internet. Yeah. Um, at just S Barahini on Twitter. Um, I do writing Raptor stuff for Forbes. You'll see me around doing other things as well, uh, throughout the year, but yeah, appreciate you for having me on, man. Thank you. Absolutely. Knicks fans, a must follow for all of your old favorite Knicks content, especially <laughs> if they're about to trade for Quentin Grimes. I was rooting for Obi to go there. I mean it. We were going to be like, do you want to come on and just host six film school? Like it's the best name I saw for like the Toronto branch of Knicks coverage. Oh, uh, yes, as always, thank you for joining me. Of course. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Once again, a big thank you to S for coming on today's show and helping me preview this matchup against the Raptors, specifically against Quick and RJ. I don't think I've ever shared this, but let me tell you the, the game that's always going to stick out to me and that probably means the most to me as far as remembering RJ and IQ. And I know with, with RJ, there's the obvious ones, the, uh, the buzzer beater against the Celtics and some of his playoff games from last year and scoring 46 against the Miami Heat. And like even some of the games earlier this year where we were wondering if the, the Prince had finally been arrived. Um, you know, with quickly, there's the the Portland games rookie season. There's the preseason games that he mentioned in the Players Tribune. There's the Miami comeback in Miami. Um, there was the um, obviously last year in Boston and the overtime game uh, in that arena that is not called the Garden, but that uh, the Celtics finally lost in tonight. So that streak is finally over. Um, but the game that always stand out to me is during the We Here season. The Knicks were playing the Memphis Grizzlies at home. They had just lost two straight. You're wondering if this was when the shoe finally was going to drop and the Knicks were headed for the lottery and we're going to hear about how all of this was wasted and they should have tanked and, you know, we could have been developing the kids. We could have traded Julius Randle at his highest value and seen what Obi Toppin was. And I remember, like, thinking what what the discourse was going to be. It was nowhere near as... as uh, passionate as it was obviously now in certain extremes. But back then uh, I was wondering if all the good vibes were going to disappear from the we here season. And the Knicks were down 14 late in the third quarter against the Grizzlies. And Emmanuel quickly checked into the game and the Knicks immediately went on a run and Emmanuel quickly did his patented. He had three to cut it to 11 right before the quarter ended. The Knicks got back into it, cut it down to single digits Quickly closed with the starters. Quickly and Alec Burks closed with the starters. 
Um, we we got some RJ minutes down the stretch too, and uh, quickly igniting the comeback was what he became known for. Was that spark plug off the bench? And then RJ in the final minutes, in fact, the last minute, he had two key moments. He was fouled on a three when they were down three, hit all three free throws. Then over the next couple of possessions, Memphis goes up two. Jonas Valanciunas is at the line with a chance to make it a make it a four point game. Um, he makes the first one. I guess he had a chance to make it a three point game. The Memphis was up one. He makes the first, misses the second. RJ makes the uh, gets the rebound and goes coast to coast and makes a driving lay layup tied at one fourteen. And then down the other end, uh, the the Grizzlies call timeout and John Morant uh, goes to try to make a floating jump shot and RJ defends the shot and we go into overtime and the Knicks get the win. I was doing a post game that night. That's the second time I ever did a post game for Knicks film school. And um, we had just launched our old merch store and I decided to, as a, as a piece of honestly, just to show off the new hoodie that I had just gotten, I decided to hang it behind me and like, it would just be in the background. This is when I was still living at my parents' place in Long Island and on Long Island, excuse me. And I remember being like, well, even if we lose, well, people will get to see my hoodie. I hung that hoodie when quickly got checked into the game. And then the Knicks went on a run and I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. So I hung that hoodie for the rest of the game and was like, I'll, I'll take it down when the Knicks lose. The Knicks then won eight more games in a row after that game against Memphis. And it became like a hoodie uh, streak. And that the fact that the Knicks haven't lost since I hung that hoodie up there. And I remember it, it kind of coincided with a lot of Knicks film school success too, that because the Knicks were taking off, our numbers were going up. A lot of people were, were coming to our after parties. It felt like, and you know, we had people reaching out to me being like, I bought the hoodie. I got it hanging up too. And it, it's wild. I'll, I'll always, always, always have an appreciation for what RJ and Emmanuel quickly, not just did for this team, for this franchise and what they did on the court, not just what they did for this city and making basketball fun again in a time when like, man, we were losing superstars and free agency to the nets. Like we were losing that battle and you made this place a respectable destination again. And then there's the Knicks film school side of things where literally the success they had they brought us along with them. And I'm always going to appreciate that. And it, it, that's the, the game I always stick out to. The first game of the nine-game winning streak during the We Here season. Um, that's why I'll always say thank you to RJ and IQ. And it's going to be weird seeing you in red and black or red and white, whatever color scheme you come in uh, from, from Toronto. But, um, you know, I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully it's also coinciding with the Knicks win. With that being said, uh, that'll do it for me. If you dig this show, head over to iTunes, drop a five-star rating and a review. I will be back on Tuesday morning with another pregame show to preview a matchup against our little brother, now officially little brother. They had a really good win against the Lakers tonight, uh, the Brooklyn Nets. But until next time, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. Peace.